Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, welcome. Uh, the what am I what am I going to do? I'm going to start with um, something here. Uh, today we're going to we're going to look at the the Psalms and how we can pray the Psalms. And um, I am amazed that after thirty some odd years of studying God's Word, that I have missed this part of the Christian life. And uh, it's it was very commonly written about and spoken about um, in in several places. I've seen it in my research uh, on on prayer. I've seen it a lot. In, in um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a neat little book. It's very small, but it's about this praying the Psalms, and it's delightful. You know, so. Um, so we've been talking about this a bit. Uh, one of the things that's in the Psalms that we'll look at today is the word Salah. Now, you've seen this, and Salah means to pause. Uh, the, something, it's, the origin of the word is difficult to track down, but some think it means to lift up, uh, literally. But it means to pause and to reflect. And as we'll see this morning, there's one Salah, uh, there's 70 four salahs in the Psalms. Uh, that's quite a bit. So it's not like, and in some Psalms there's three of them, four of them. In some Psalms there's none. But it shows us that God wants us to stop, be calm and quiet, and reflect, meditate on the words that we've just heard, or sung, or prayed. And therefore not to, it's God's way of saying, don't rush through this. You know, understand, understand it. And to understand, we have to mull it around in our minds. And as I, you know, we have plenty of time to do this. So one of our listeners uh, sent me this by email. Uh, our listener, Terry Oki in England, sent me this. It's not karaoke. It's Terry Oki. I don't know if she can sing or not. I don't know. But uh, anyway, um, you know, I, I, I'm very fond of Terry. We, uh, she's usually attending the uh, Zoom meetings on Friday, and she stays up till midnight to attend these meetings with us. And, and she's insightful and wise in the scriptures and uh, just a, someone who's just fully devoted to the Word of God and to the Lord. And she sent me this. Uh, <clears throat> it's about a man named George Mueller. You know, you know George Mueller? I didn't know you were that old, Sue. He's, he's gone a long time, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm just so kidding. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, uh, I, I think I've heard of him. I haven't read much uh, about him. But this um, particular, I think it's a devotional, is about him. And it starts off with Psalm 119.47. Quote, I love your commands. Uh, in Psalm 119.47, that's the longest psalm in the Psalter. Uh, I read through it from start to finish uh, just a couple of days ago, and um, we're going to talk about that one. That's a very important psalm, and we'll talk about that. So, George Mueller was a, a man of great faith. He rescued thousands of homeless children in England. Sometimes they were gathered at the table for supper or sometimes when they were gathered at the table for supper, there was nothing to eat. So he would pray and thank God for supernatural provision. 
No sooner had he said amen than a baker would show up at his door with bread or a greengrocer with vegetables or a farmer with milk. Here is an entry from his journal dated May 9th, 1841. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great primary business to which I ought to attend every day was not how much I might serve the Lord, but how my inner man might be nourished. For I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted, I might seek to benefit believers, and yet, not being happy in the Lord, and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all this might not be attended to in the right spirit. Before this time, my practice had been to give myself to prayer after every after having dressed myself in the morning. Now I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it, that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that this, by means of the Word of God, whilst meditating on it, my heart might be brought into experimental communion with the Lord." For over 40 years, Mueller walked in the power of God and saw miracles. What was his secret was taking time each day to meditate on God's Word. And I, you know, I would add to that, uh, <clears throat> to meditate on a, a portion of God's Word, Psalm, for instance, uh, or any part, and, uh, and then pray that now once you have your mind set upon a certain principle of truth, and as we'll find in this study, uh, when, God, when we focus on God's Word when we're praying, it leads us into areas of prayer that we wouldn't have thought of. In other words, <clears throat> we think, you know, the, the thing on our hearts right now is the most immediate and it needs to be attended to. And when we have the Lord's Prayer, as we have said, to get us focused first on the Father and His kingdom and His will before we get to our own needs... And then we also have the Word of God to get us to focus on principles of truth that we may neglect when we're praying. And, uh, and so we'll see that. So. so with that, let's open up in prayer. And let's uh, be grateful and thankful for God's <clears throat> provision of another day and for the provision of His Son and the provision of His Word. In God, God's providence, we have all that we need. And so with that, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, you are holy, righteous, just. You have saved us through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have provided the Lord, your anointed, to sit on your throne, the throne of the earth, forever. Through him, this son of David, we have been spared from judgment, and all who believe upon him have eternal life. And that's thanks to your love and your grace. With you we have everything. As you <clears throat> inspired your servant David to write, The Lord is my shepherd, we shall not want. And what more do we need, Father, than you? And we have you fully. So much so that you indwell us, you clothe us with yourself. You have made us righteous through Christ. You have reconciled us to yourself 
justified us so that we need not fear any condemnation from you. We long, Father, to understand the life that you've given us so that we may walk it with great joy and peace as you have promised. A life abundant, pure, holy, and also greatly enjoyable. So we ask, Father, that through your word this morning that we would be enlightened to see how you have instructed us to pray. And we, have, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All rise, please.
such a wonderful song. Um, Luke 11. Uh, Gospel of Luke verse uh, chapter 11. <clears throat> uh, we find here, right, and, um, as the disciples have uh, noticed Jesus praying, uh, what Jesus was praying is not given to us, but what we see here, as you look at Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, they, they're noticing that Jesus is praying. Uh, they obviously see that he, he prays quite a bit, uh, but they're not always... I mean, Jesus would have done all the ritual prayers that the Jews did, like the Shema every day, every morning and evening, uh, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Um, and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, that would have been, they all pray that, all the Jews. They still do today. Um, but this had to be different. Uh, it was different in a way that the disciples didn't understand. Now, Jesus was talking to his father like a son to a father. And in, we see in his prayers, like in the one that recorded for us in John 17, that he's speaking to the Father, like really, not, not in a ritualistic way, but he has real desires that he wants fulfilled, and he asks the Father about that. But he also, in that prayer, praises the Father for who he is. And so we have this, and it's an aspect of prayer that should not be overlooked by us. And that is adoration, you know, to adore your Lord. You say, well, I don't feel like adoring him. It, it, that's the issue. <laughs> so do it anyway and find your adoration because nobody who sees the Lord for who he is would not adore him. That's impossible. It's only out of our ignorance that we don't adore him. And so in prayer, you can say, God, open my eyes to why I don't feel thankful. And God has given us prayer for this. And not only prayer, though, right? We have to study his word uh, and, and pray and do. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot for us to do. I mean, this is a life. It's a Christian way of life. There's many aspects to it, and none of it should be neglected. And not, and also, and I should say this, not one thing should be emphasized over another. When I say I emphasize all study and I don't pray and I have like a weak prayer life. There's something wrong there. Or I have, I spend a lot of time in prayer but I don't study the Word of God. Something wrong there. And we have to, we have to explore it all. <clears throat> so what does Jesus tell them? Verse 2, 
When you pray, say. And see that word say? It's legate, which is the very common verb for speaking in Greek, like where we get Lego from. And uh, legate is a command. It's a command, second person, plural. Do Say. In other words, we could put in say this, but he doesn't, there's no this, uh, no pronoun that he could have added, uh, but he just says say. And then he teaches the Lord's Prayer. So, and we're going to, once we do Psalms, then we're going to do Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to wrap it all up with examining some prayers throughout the Scripture. Uh, and that, that should give us a nice full diet of prayer. Prayer is something that we have to learn. All right? This is, teach us how to pray. Jesus didn't say, well, look, there's nothing to teach here. He didn't say, look, just when you, you, know, you feel an emotional outpouring, just do that. Just wait for a good feeling or something. No. He, t- he gives them this prayer. He says, say this. And so he's teaching us. And as all the people, all, like how many books of prayer did I buy? I, I did uh, the all call on the internet, what are the best evangelical books on prayer? And I picked like the top ten, and I am going through them all. And there is, in every one of them, that says, they all agree, that the Lord's Prayer encompasses all prayers. As we'll see in, in Luther... I have a couple quotes from Luther because I'm reading Bonhoeffer's book right now, and you know he's German, so you know, he's, he was brought up with Luther. Uh, anyway, uh, and you know Luther was like all the rest in hearty agreement with p- praying the Psalms, but also uh, he makes the case that uh, in every petition in the Lord's Prayer you find it in the Psalms, and in fact it's it's easy to find it in the Psalms. Uh, Actually, it's easy to find those petitions everywhere. So we have to learn how to pray. It's not some overflow of the heart that sometimes swells up like a tide and we find ourselves praying by pouring out our suddenly pressured hearts. Prayer is seeking to talk to God and hearing from God. And we have to learn how. Just like a child learns how to communicate with their parents. Right? How do, how do children learn to speak? By us speaking to them. And we don't speak to them in baby talk. We speak to them in, I don't, it's amazing how they figure it out. They figure out what words mean. And by all the adults just talking to them. God speaks to us through his word, and we learn how to talk God's language back to him. And that's why the, where we, what we pray and pray for is not outside the word of God. And we must be careful about that, because... In prayer, we can get quite selfish uh, or self-centered. And is none of that in the Word of God? So anyway, uh, the Bible has its own prayer book. It is the Psalms. And prayers are the words of humans, is it not? Now, if you wrote a poem, you would have written, that's art. You know, it's, it's not just you writing out the instructions on how to, like, bake a cake, right? It's you actually taking, for us, they're usually rhyming words, and you're uh, 
Uh, your lines have a certain rhythm to it. If you were to write, I don't know, even if you were to write a jingle, <laughs> but if you were to write a poem, you have a certain cadence and a rhyming scheme, and or it's not poetry, right? And, and it doesn't have to rhyme, of course. Um, but if you have constructed something like that, you've done something artistic. And so that's from you, is it not? So take take the difference here. What if... What if I'm a prophet, I'm the prophet Isaiah, and God comes to me and tells me something and says, go say this to the people. And I take that and I go say it. Like we see God speaking to Jeremiah. God says to Jeremiah, in the midst of the feast, I want you to go right into the center of the temple court and I want you to tell them all that they're doomed. And Jeremiah was like, thanks, God. Thanks for this awesome assignment. And <laughs> It, was, it took a man of courage to do what Jeremiah did, what all the prophets did. But, it, you know, if I see in a vision or a dream something and I communicate it to the people, it's, you know, I'm just taking God's word and I'm saying, I say, thus saith the Lord. But when I write a poem, a song, my own prayer, this comes from my own heart, does it not? It's artistic even. And yet God took these that were created by man and he put them in his word. Now think of the implication. God took a prayer or a song or a poem from one of his saints and he made it his own. God put it in his word. All scripture is God breathed. God took, when David was inspired and said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God said, now that's mine. I'm putting that in my word. And every psalm that's now in God's word, God has claimed for himself. And so we say, well, you know, I don't know what to pray. There are over a hundred prayers in God's prayer book that are prayers of people, of men, that God took and made his own. And so when I look at a psalm, like the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I know that that is divinely sanctioned as proper. And it's not just proper, as exceptional. Now, do I have to say the exact words? No. I mean, I could be praying it in a different language. You know, learn psalm, memorize Psalm 23 in Spanish. No, it doesn't matter? No. But what matters is what do the words mean? Hence, God all along would say, Salah, stop and think, what have you just said? Do you know it? And so, unlike all other literature in the Bible, the Psalms are the art of man claimed by God as his own. I find this fascinating. Never thought of it. Not once did this thought cross my mind. <laughs> uh, and I thank Mr. Dietrich Bonhoeffer for this thought. All the prayers of the Psalms have a divine stamp of approval. And as we'll find, they apply to everything. You can find all the petitions of the Lord's Prayer in the Psalms. And actually, multiple, multiple times, what, I, what makes it also, somewhat handy is that the main themes that God wants us to pray about are written in Psalms multiple times. 
So I don't have to go reading 150 Psalms every day to find the one that applies to my situation. I only have to actually read a few, and I'll find it. And, you know, this God, what do you think God would want us to do with his prayer book? Read it once. Say, look, I finished the Psalms. And some people say, I read the Bible through in a year. I am done. <laughs> you need to start again and again. And the same is true with the Psalms. I highly recommend that you read a Psalm a day, maybe two. And say, oh, pastor, now that sounds like works. Call it works if you want. Just do it. I don't care. Do you want to benefit from God's word? Or do you want it to just be a sideshow in your life? The Psalms are here for us to digest, to ponder, to salah. And, you know, how long are they? The short little things. Most of them. And you get to Psalm 119 and you're like, uh-huh, I can't read this. Plus, it's very repetitive. Psalm 119 is all about glorifying the Word of God, and he says it again and again and again. So, I timed myself. I read through Psalm 119 slow, slow. I even got up a couple times to refresh my coffee and looked at something, you know, whatever. I, I just took my time. It took me 20 minutes to get through it. I could have done it in 15 if I wasn't distracted, which I probably shouldn't have been. But... I don't have 15 minutes to give to God. That Psalm 119 is a psalter in and of itself. But we look at it and go, "Ah, it's too big. I don't have 15 minutes. You do. So do I. So I, I hope we realize the implication. If I pray a psalm, I'm praying something that God took directly into his holy scripture, which is in fact claiming the prayer for himself. If I know the meaning of the words, that's what's key here. Hence, meditate on them. If I know the meaning of the words, put my own will behind them. Like, I, you know, I had a want buzzing around in my head yesterday, and it ruined most of my day. Because, you know, it's, it's one of those things. And it's a want. And then and my mind dwelt on it, and I dwelt on it in a wrong fashion, and it, I wasted so much time. And then, thank God for sleep, right? A new day. A new day is a new way of thinking. And this morning, I, the Holy Spirit put on my heart, because I'm teaching on the Psalms today. He said to me, Joe, the Lord is your shepherd, you should not want. And I was like, you know what, Lord, where were you yesterday? (laughs) And, oh, he sure was there yesterday. I just wasn't listening. I didn't want to listen. How bizarre are we as human, as creatures, who at times actually want to be miserable? Like, I reveled in my misery. Like, self-pity. And we, we drink of it. And it makes us miserable, more miserable. And then God puts us to sleep. Someday he's going to really put us to sleep, and it'll all be over. You know, as the Bible calls dying sleep. Uh, so, <clears throat> that's true. It is. It will be the beginning, and the end, yes, the end of this horrible infancy. 
If I know the meaning of the words and put my own will behind them, I have a prayer that is divinely fitting. I can't go wrong, can I? Then I realize that there are 150 of them. Everything I could ever pray for that is legitimate is found in this Psalter. It's there. It's an awesome challenge to say, you know, what's on my mind right now? Can I think of it? Can I go find it? And you certainly can. If you're not finding it, pray. Every time I have, when I'm studying and I get a thought and then I forget that thought, which is happening more and more frequently, that if I stop and say, God, what was that thought? It was good and I've forgotten it. And all I have to do is wait. Sometimes he brings it back to me in a minute. Sometimes it's an hour later. Not once has it failed for me to get whatever that thought was. Father, help me find the proper word in your word that will set me free from this whatever bondage. So, here's the other thing. This is, this is a big one now. We should not ask what our prayers... Uh, we should not ask what our prayers or the prayers of the Psalms have to do with us. All right? So, we're going to say, you know, I, I need help here. And so, you would naturally think my first order of business is to see how particular words in God's Word would apply to me. But the problem with this is that it can get you me-centered. And there's nothing wrong with dealing with me. I mean, you have to. But when you deal with you before God, who's in the middle? Who's the mediator? The Lord Jesus Christ. All of human history... All of your life, all of every single human life is wrapped up in Him. Everything. At the end, whose kingdom is it? Why are we there? At the end, who is glorified? I mean, we all get glorified, but we get glorified with Christ. You know, to whom is every knee shall bow and every tongue confess? To who sits at the right hand of God until His enemies be made a footstool for His feet? Who is the King? Who is the high priest? Who is the one that I'm supposed to uh, set my eyes upon and not take them off? Who's, who am I to follow? Right? What did Christ say to, to Peter? You follow. What about John, he said? What are you going to do with John? He said, well, that's none of your business, Peter. You follow me. So prayer. This is what we're coming to God in the name of the Lord. Oh, did I miss that? I did not put it in. Is it out of order? No. Okay. If prayer is all about me and not the manifestation of Christ in me, it will become ineffective. It's all about me. Alright? So go to John sixteen twenty three. Let's jump forward a few pages. John 16, 23. So am I, am I saying to completely neglect me? No, I'm not. I'm saying to think of you in light of Christ. And in fact, think of you secondarily. Is that a word? In you in a secondary manner to Christ. Because if it's about me, I may say, well, God, there's this pain in my life. Or let's take Paul. There's a thorn in my flesh. 
and I want it gone. And God, no. But why, Lord? And he finds out. He says, because if I don't put, if I don't keep this thorn in you, you won't see the power that is in Christ. And Paul, after he, after he figured out that the thorn had to stay, as he writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, now I glory in my weakness so that the power of Christ may be on me. He uses a preposition on. Right? Not just power in general. Not just learn how to be, you know, an ascetic. You know, I got a thorn in the flesh. My life stinks. It's, I'm in pain all the time. But hallelujah, praise the Lord. Not that either. It's what are you discovering? The power of whom? The truth of whom? The kingdom of whom? Right? It's not just a kingdom and a truth. This all comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I'm praying in His name, and I don't know if we're going to get, get to it this morning, but as I was reading, um, and I'm trying to remember where it is, but it, it's a passage that we can pray, and as we're praying it, what comes to the forefront is, and just like in our Lord's Prayer, right? He says, teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, here's, here, say this. Our Father, who is in heaven. Not you. you. You don't start with you, right? Father. Where is he? Heaven. Why is he your Father? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why. And so I've already, before I got to me, whatever my issue is, I have a Father, heaven, it's my home, I have, uh, I have the sacrifice, the death, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension and session, and in fact, maybe even the second coming of Christ jumps into my mind. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Right? This is all about Him. His kingdom. Who's the King? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm coming to the Father in His name. And you see, I, I have looked at and pondered and seen all of that. And if I just, you know, if I just run into, you know, my prayer is all about me, then I might not think of any of those things. And um, I'd be like, you know, and Paul in that situation, he says, I prayed to the Lord that he would remove the thorn. Not, not Lord, if it is your will, I don't know, maybe the thorn should stay, but if you want it to go, <laughs> no, there's nothing like that. He's like, get rid of it. And that's Paul-centered, not God-centered. That's the point. So as Jesus says here in John 16:23, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything, He will give it to you in my name. Right? What is in my name? We've already talked about this. It means in His will. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and in the power of the Spirit. Uh, and so to pray in the Son's name is to know that the only reason you can pray, the only reason that the throne is open to you is because of the Son of God and His sacrifice. And you are bringing His name. It, it's, you, know, you, you could not approach a king in the ancient world without a letter of introduction. 
And in Jesus' name is your letter of introduction. That's He's your mediator. And so when I'm before the Father, I'm, to, I'm here in Jesus' name. So what does that mean? I'm, in a way, I, I represent Him. So if I'm here in His name, I'm here in His will. And that's why He can say this so. And it means exactly what it says literally. Anything in His will. <laughs> Right? It's anything in His name is anything that is in His will. And I am before the Father in obedience. If I'm not there in obedience, as Jesus said, if you've got anything against your brother, go settle it first and then come with your sacrifice. Now that would be in the, the Jewish system. But for us, it's like if you have anything, is sinfulness on your mind, sin happening, or a problem with someone, settle this first and then come and speak. To your father. You know, uh, I applied the other day. I was, Adam, a sinful man. That uh, I've got this pressure upon my soul for certain temptation. That is, again, like all temptations, it's all about me. And I, and thank God for this study. I said, you know what? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to go pray about all of you. And my, everybody I know, I'm going to go pray about them. So, Father, here I am in the name of your Son. I got this issue. We're not going to talk about that just now. But I'm going to pray about the church, people in the church. And on and on I'm going. And it got me occupied with other things besides me. And I knew it would work. It worked like a charm. I forgot all about it. I found, what I found was power over it. So what did Jesus say? This why that, am I going to pray that? Am I going to use that technique again? I better. <laughs> Shame on me if I don't. But Jesus said, look, just like that lady is hounding the, the judge for a hearing, ask, seek, and knock, keep at it. Those are all present participles that mean that we continually do this. We're always asking, we're always seeking, we're always knocking, and oftentimes for the very same things. So now, our prayers are not going to be entered into the Word of God. Maybe in heaven. But when we pray in the name of Christ, we speak with Him and fellowship with Him. We're there at the throne of God with Him. In His name, we may pray the Psalms. This is another great benefit of this, is that it doesn't depend on how we feel at any given moment. Meaning that we should pray, we should or may pray a psalm that doesn't fit our current mood. And that perhaps it's quite necessary that we pray contrary to our heart. Not just always centered on ourselves. Should we always pray what we think is important? But we also find in Romans 8, that God says that we're weak in prayer, and so the Holy Spirit has to help us. Uh, and so what we think is the important thing at issue, are we always right about that? We're weaklings. We're not always right. We think we know, and God knows better. So we may have a psalm in front of us and say, well, this doesn't really apply to me right now. So what? It only take you a few minutes. Pray through it anyway. And you may find that God has led you to a part of his word that has the actual issue in it. 
one that you had never thought of. However, we have to be discerning. There's no formula given. God doesn't say, all right, start at Psalm 3. Right? We saw the first two Psalms are an introduction and then take them in order. Or start at Psalm whatever. Or do a Psalm a day. Or do the Lord's Prayer twice a day. We don't get anything like that. So we have to discern for ourselves because there's no formula given. We know the method. We have to pray to the Father in the name of the Son, which means in His will, and in the power of the Spirit, meaning we have to be spiritual. Uh, but other than that, there's no formula. And the solution to this is great. Your prayer life with God is a prayer life. You know, what you prayed, if you prayed this morning, or what you may pray today is a part of what should be thousands and thousands of prayers in your conversation with God that is back and forth from Him to you and you to Him over your whole life. And so we can that what we're after is, you know, I'd say in my opinion, and I think this would be accurate to the Scripture, is that by the end of our time here, that we can look back and say, I have had a healthy, intimate, personal conversation with the Father my whole life. Or at least at some point where I finally realized how important prayer was, that from that point on, I have developed a conversation. Like me with my wife, we have, we have wonderful communication in our marriage, which is a very important thing. And, uh, <clears throat> but I, I couldn't tell you how much I've talked to her or she to me. Right? We, we don't like keep track of it. But I can say, all I can say is we talk. And it's important. And it's important with your relationship with the Father. And, and you know, and just like in... in you know, like uh, when Chris and I talk, we're not following a script. You know, like, okay, it's time for the morning talk. All right, pull out, you know, pull out your page. You go first. And it's like a script in a play. A lot of people's prayers are like that, though. Right? Well, we grew up Catholic, right? Suzanne, you, you had some Catholicism in you. So, oh, that's right. Ken, you did too. And to go, you know, we're going through the... I never did the beads. My mom and dad did them, but... You know, it's our Father was in heaven, hallowed. And you do it, you have to get it done fast. Well, that's the big bead, a tail Mary for the little beads. And you get in every tenth bead, there's an Our Father. And people brag about, I pray the rosary. And, gee, and it's right there when Jesus, when they said, teach us how to pray, he said, You're not going to be heard for your many words. And in fact, I'm going to give you the shortest prayer in the world. Not the world, but you know what I mean. I'm going to give you this six-petition prayer that is so short, but it is because I'm wicked smart. Or as we say in New England, wicked smart. I can fit everything into these six petitions. And you will find, as you discover what this prayer really is throughout your entire life, you'll find that everything that is of a nature that should be and can be asked of God or shared with God in prayer is in here. Everything is. The petitions themselves are very broad. That's why it can include everything. You know, how many, 
how many of our needs or wants or, you know, the fulfillment of those things in faith are tied to the kingdom, right? Your kingdom come. Like, that actually, that prayer just settles all my angst about world issues. Because this isn't my kingdom. And are the, the kings of the kingdoms all throughout human history, as we saw in Psalm 2, they are not going to come to fruition. All who have gone against, took their stand against the Lord's anointed. The Lord in heaven does what? Laughs and he scoffs at them. As if you, mortal on earth, that your plans could work against me, deity in heaven. So, again, there's no formula. So, first what we've seen is we can pray the Psalms, that they're, they're the art work of men that God has taken and made his own. And as I was talking to my, uh, my cousin-in-law, well, I guess he's my uncle-in-law, uh, yesterday, and we were talking about this, and he said, I, you know, aren't, aren't the Psalms all songs? Uh, like, yeah, many of them are, but uh, they're described as prayer. So what is a song if you take the music away? Because we don't have any of the music to the Psalms. What if you, if you just have the words? They're prayers. And we'll see that if I get hurrying up here. Uh, so then also, our prayers have to be Christ-centered, I need. I should have made a point on that. Um, but anyway, uh, our prayers have to be Christ-centered. What we are in our lives, in eternal life, and the fulfillment of that life, to live every day in the fruit of the Spirit, in that love and peace and joy, and to, to have a life that matters, that is exceeding abundantly beyond anything we can ask or think. Ephesians 3.20 is Christ-centered. Right? We are all predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Not something else. Him. All of us are predestined for that. He's the King. Everything depends upon Him. And our prayers must depend upon Him. It's not, God, give me this. It's, God, give me things, some that I probably don't know, in light of my relationship with Christ, to become more Christ-like. And that is my focus. We're, we're always so ready to say, God, fix this, or get rid of this, or add this, or take away this. And, you know, he's our, God becomes like our errand boy. Instead of saying, Lord, show me what is in your will. First and foremost. And then we'll have the wisdom, perhaps. It, should we ask for specific things that are of material nature? We will find that, yes. The Psalms have that. God wants us to have good things. But we also have to have the capacity where we don't make idols out of those things. So the Lord's wonderful at this. So that the petition, give us today our daily bread, it's not just bread, that's everything. Everything you need. And in that petition, you're saying, Father, what you will for me to have today is sufficient. I don't want more. This is, one of, this is in Proverbs, I think. 
Proverbs 30, I think it is, where he says, don't give me too much and don't give me too little. Give me just right. So I'm not begging bread and I'm also not proud of all that I have. Uh, Let's see. All right, Psalm 23. You could you could memorize this psalm in uh, really quickly and have it always at the ready. This is one of the it, now isn't it like it's the most famous of them all? And there's a real reason for that. It's beautiful and it's short to the point and it's gorgeous uh, and it applies to so much of us. So uh, this is from Luther. He says, it, the Psalter, penetrates the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer penetrates it, so that it is possible to understand one on the basis of the other and to bring them into joyful harmony. And he (coughs) makes a case here, and we're just going to look at a couple of examples of this, where, (coughs) uh, as you know it, Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Oh, and this one. He restores my soul. How important this has become to me lately, I, I can't say enough of. That it's when we discover from the Scripture what it is this Christian life is really about and what God wants for us to have and to live and that you have... And I have finally, over time, said, you know what, Lord, your will is exactly what I want. No more games. I want your will. I want to be what you want me to be. I want to please you. And, and not to get stuff from you. I've, it's over time, that God reveals to us the reality of it, that this is the only way to live. And I've said this a lot. And so we, and then we set off, we say, I've got, finally, the light's gone on, and I really want this life. And then what do you find? Oh, you're terrible at it. You finally threw in all your chips, right? You went all in. And you thought to yourself, well, this is going to be a breeze. And it's harder than ever. Because now you're truly stepping into the arena to fight the good fight against your flesh and against temptation. And you, if you haven't done that before, and you've just given in to temptation, you have, and I love how C.S. Lewis writes this in Mere Christianity, if we don't stand against the wind, we have no idea how strong it is. If we just lie down, we don't know how strong the wind is. If you've got to stand against it. When you fight an army, that's when you know how strong they are. If you just throw up the white flag and surrender, you have no idea. When you fight against the flesh, you realize how awful it is and how strong it is. And it's mighty strong. But the only way you know that is if you resist it. And so (laughs) the wind knocks you over again and again. And it might, I, I, I don't know, I don't think you'd be human if you, if you never said, I, I think I should probably quit at this. It's like my, uh, my good friend uh, uh, Wilbur Wright, 
He's not my friend, but I just I love the book on the Wright brothers by um, what's his name? David. Wow, that's bizarre. His name just ran out of my head. No, it's been happening a lot. McCullough, David McCullough. Uh, so I think it was their second season at Kitty Hawk. They went there like three years in a row, and they went for the wind. This is a good wind. And they thought they had had it, how to make it all work, and they crashed it. They didn't fly. And so and they, they lived in Dayton, Ohio. So they're, that's from the coastline of North Carolina. On the travel back, Wilbur says to Orville, man's not going to learn how to fly in a thousand years. He's like, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. Two days later, he's back in his shop working on the plane. Because those guys had in them this tenacity. that, And they never doubted. So they doubted. You say they never doubted. They doubted. But for the most part, they never did. That they could fly. It was, in, it was stuck in here. That they would, they would figure it out. And it made them work real hard. I think they didn't have the money. They used all their own money. And they made it work. To, to the amazement of everybody. People couldn't believe what they could do. Uh, and I, I've, I see that in you know this line. He restores my soul. Every day. He says, you had a bad day yesterday. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't. I actually can't stop thinking about it. He's like, well, come on. Let's get going. You and me, we walk. And another thing that God is going to teach you here, and this is going to greatly enhance your prayer life, is that there is not another human being on planet Earth who has been designed to make you happy. Not one. Nobody has been given that responsibility. Don't put it on anybody either. Nobody is here to make you happy. And God is going to drill that into our heads. That our happiness comes from Him. The one we can't see, touch, and hear. But it must come from Him. And then, when it does come from Him, you will be a benefit to others. Rather than uh, a leech. (laughs) A happiness leech. You'll glob onto them and suck their blood. Something like that. That's a pretty bad analogy, but... Let's look again, Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. For His name's sake. Why? As the Father can say, that's my son. That's my daughter. They are the way that they are because of me. And so He gets the glory, not us. So, I shall not want, and Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.11, give us this day our daily bread. And this is why we pray this. You know, we have often asked in the past, or at least I have, that, you know, we were taught logistical grace, that God is, and it's true, that God is going to provide all your needs. Jesus said this. But in the very same sermon, Jesus, when they said, teach us how to pray, he said, give us today our daily bread. By the way, it's a command. To God, but it's really we find out, and I found out in Greek class that 
the, they always did this in the ancient world in Greek. If you asked for somebody that was of a higher rank than you for anything, you put it in the imperative. So it's not us commanding God, you better give us bread right now. But it's a true Greek way of requesting. And so we request for these things so that we don't forget that who's the source of our bread. And again, bread means everything. It's him. How much is he going to give us? Enough. But what if we want more? You can ask. Right? If, if you're, you know if you're asking in greed, <laughs> you should be able to know that about yourself. I say, this is just greedy. But if I truly say, you know, I could use a little more, that is not, we will find it. We'll find that in the Psalms. It's quite all right to ask that. But God may say no. And we have to be content with that. If we ask for more and he takes some away, then hopefully we're just like Job, right? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. All right, go back to Psalm 22. So one of the things that gets overlooked is that the Lord prays the Psalms. We find out the apostles pray the Psalms. And that we also, the early church. We saw that last week, this past week, I think it was Thursday, in Acts chapter 4, they prayed all together, they prayed Psalm 2. After Peter and John and some others were released from, from, the, from the court. So, real, you know, it, the Lord, so this jazzes me to no end. The Lord is on the cross, right? And he's, <laughs> how, do you, how do you put it in words? I He's being, uh, you know, uh, forsaken by his father. As he's being judged for the sins of the whole world. Your sins and mine. And it's not something that he looked forward to. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, Lord, if it possible, let this cup pass from the cup of the sins of the whole world. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. And he had, and the word is he had angst, uh, incredible pressure within himself over this looming thing that he was going to have to do. He did not. He wanted to do it because it was the Father's will. He wasn't running up to the cross with a big old happy smile on his face. And when he goes into the depths of really what we could consider hell, he says something that David writes. Right? Notice Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is David writing this about himself or is he writing this about his coming son, his great son, Jesus Christ? I guess we'd have to ask David, but in the context of all of David's Psalms, he writes them in reference to himself. But we will also find in the book of Acts that David knew that his son, because he's promised he's going to have a son to sit on the throne forever, he knows this promise. It's a covenant that God has made with him that he would have a son to sit on the throne of Israel forever. 
and that he knew that when some things that he was writing, uh, or maybe all, I don't know, is we don't get a lot of specifics, but that what he wrote, he knew some of which was about the coming Messiah. He knew that. So maybe here he knew that. But the point that I'm making is that these are David's words in his poem. And it's not just quoted once. In this whole poem, or prayer, if you will, is um, it, it, Jesus cries it from the cross. And, uh, and the first part of it is about the crucifixion of Christ. And the second part of it is about his resurrection. And so he said, oh, David, inspired by the Spirit, yes, wrote about himself, but also wrote about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ took this. So uh, also cried from the cross in Hebrews 2, 11 through 2. It says, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So that's us, right? He's not ashamed to call us brethren, saying, now the writer of Hebrews puts this in the Lord's mouth. But this is Psalm 22, 22. This is David. These are David's words. You skip down to Psalm to verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. But the writer of Hebrews says Jesus said this. But wait a minute, David wrote this. And, you know, however you want to imagine it. I've read some say, you know, that Jesus is kind of like in the loins of David and he's inspiring David. I think that's a little stretchy. (laughs) But, you know, however you want to imagine it, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is that the words of the psalmist, the prayers of the psalmist, are so wonderful and and important that Jesus himself has taken the words as his own. So in Hebrews 2.12, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Who says that? Well, he says, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, which are us, him and us are all from one Father. We're all from one father. That means I'm his brother. I I know we've heard it, but I I hope it means as much to us as it should. Jesus Christ is my brother and my Lord. And the very prayers that he prayed. So should we only pray the ones that Jesus quoted? Uh Uh-uh. They're all there for us. Jesus has given us, the Lord Jesus Christ has given us a um, signal, kind of like a signal flare. And he's saying, look, do you see me pray these psalms? Even at my lowest, when I was on the cross, I prayed of the psalms. Go and find your prayers there. <clears throat> so Jesus gives, uh, the, the Lord Jesus gives Psalm 22 its full meaning. Um, so go back to the Psalms. Go to Psalm 72 at the very end. It's got a few minutes left. So 
So, yeah, that's where I, I had this. Um, so say we were reading Psalm 22. And we saw the, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as it continues on, far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And oh, how many times in our lives we're thinking that God is not paying all that much attention to us and that he's not taking care of things the way that we would have liked. And then here we have, you know, a psalm that speaks of our Lord on the cross. And I'm like, can God really forsake me? You know, that's the, just immediately, that's the thought that comes to my mind. If I were reading this and I started to pray, I'd say, God, can you forsake me? But, you know, you forsook your son so that you would never forsake me. So you know everything, don't you, about me, and, and you know what I need. And, and by the way, as I close what this prayer, this two-minute prayer, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, hopefully I'm reminded that in my prayer, in my life, is to be Christ-centered, not me-centered. Christ-centered. What do you need? The Father wants us all to be like His Son who is the only human. He's the model, right? He's the only human who actually is the life that God wants for humanity. That's why we're all destined to be conformed to his image. So if we found ourselves praying this psalm in our prayer, we would not have failed to think about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and his victory, which the second part of the psalm is about. He dies in the first part of Psalm 22, and he's speaking to his brethren about the victory in the second part. And so we bridge the question, um, this, this kind of an introduction to this. So what we're going to do from here on out for at least next week is we're going to see several themes in the Psalms that are repeated, and we're going to see how we can incorporate those into our prayer life. So are the psalms songs, as I said, songs without uh, which the ver- you have the verse, but you don't have the music, become prayers as well. Look at the very end of Psalm 22, 20. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Did I say the wrong one? Psalm 72. Mm-hmm. 72, the last line of Psalm 72, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Wait a minute, I thought they were songs. Uh, This is the Hebrew word for prayer. Uh, It's used 70, where do I have it, Uh, 77 times in the Old Testament. It is the common word for prayer, and to give you a, a little Evidence of that, and it's used by Isaiah. And it's used, again, it's used 77 times, but in Isaiah 56, 7, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Jesus quotes this one as well. When he casts all out the money changers, he quotes this. And so it is the general word for prayer. And so in Psalm 72, now, if you, you can skip back with me to Psalm 17. 
Is it Psalm 17? Yeah. Psalm 17, verse 1. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Give heed to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. That's also the same word for prayer, but that's the only time it's used here. So, in Psalm 17 is the only time that David writes, this is a prayer. And yet, at the end of 72 Psalms, it says these are prayers, plural. Uh, And so, we would conclude from this that it is settled by God that at least the first 72 Psalms are prayers. Because there's only one that actually calls it a prayer. So as I said, my recommendation to you is to read one or two of them a day and then pray. You can pray while you're reading them. You can read and pray and read and pray. Again, there's, there's, no, there's no format that God says you have to be. He doesn't even say you have to have your eyes closed when you pray. You don't have to be on your knees. You don't have to be in a certain position. None of this is indicated in the Scripture. Uh, but we ha- what we have here is uh, God's prayer book. And so as we continue in this study, we'll see the various themes. Uh, we wouldn't be able to cover them all. The only way that you and I can cover all the themes in the psalm that might apply to us is to read them ourselves and over years Keep rereading them and rereading them. It takes a minute or two to get through one of these psalms. They're very short. And then to pray about what do these lines mean. And remember that the Holy Spirit can be speaking to you. He is speaking to you through His Word. Uh, so we say, well, you know, what, does God like move my hand? You know, people usually put the. You know, they go like this, and you know, they say, well, what do I got? Oh, look, the Lord is my shepherd. I just pointed to Psalm 23. But, you know, it's nothing like that. But isn't God powerful enough to find a way to lead me to the proper word that I need? And that, and, and, and maybe, not maybe, he is going to speak to me through his word in ways that I haven't imagined or planned, as if, like, I know what God is going to say to me. That's just so arrogant to think that. So I, I think it was Luther who said that, be, you know, be weary of the Holy Spirit speaking to you when you're praying. If you start getting thoughts that you think may be coming from God, stop praying and listen. In other words, stop talking and listen. But again, what's the format? Do I go to God in silence? Do I go to God with the words of the Lord's Prayer? When, when do I go to God with the Psalms? What Psalm? Uh, what about other passages in the Scripture? How do I hear Him? Uh, and on and on these questions go, and on and on these questions have no answers in the Scripture. It's like God is saying, it's just like Jesus said to the disciples when they first asked Him, where do you live? He said, come and see. God is saying, look, you explore your relationship with me on your own and use this prayer book, use the Lord's Prayer and mix it all in there with your personal stuff and you'll learn how to pray because we all have to learn how. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for 
your word. Thank you for prayer. Uh, As we even right now pray together to you, we know, Father, that we are coming directly to you. That because of our Lord and Savior and his sacrifice on Calvary, that we are with you face to face, though we do not see you. We know that you hear us, and we know that you are pleased with prayers that are according to your will. I pray, Heavenly Father, I think we all do, that we would come to a deeper understanding of how to pray and how to discover from you who you are, what you are, what your plan is, what your will is for each of our lives, and to find the courage and the strength to execute that will by means of your courage and strength through your Spirit. That, Father, is a prayer according to your will that many have prayed before us. And we look forward to the day in which you will fulfill it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we'll take our offering and more prayer. Uh, Let's pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give as your believer priests. We give to honor you, Father, and to uh, support the communication of your word and guide us, Father, into the use of what you have blessed us with. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. Uh, yeah, let's close in prayer. We thank you, Father, for the, our gathering. We thank you for this day, another day in your world and in your grace. It's a wonderful thing to start the day off with your word. And may your word just saturate us for the rest of this day. And that we may walk in your light and your love. And Father, for anyone listening who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior, I offer to you, if you have not believed in Christ I beg you to please consider him. Consider what he is, not what you've heard about him that may be false. But Jesus Christ, I can tell you honestly that Jesus Christ, as his witness, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Son of God who became a man for the very purpose of saving us. He said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost, and all of us are lost. But with him we are found. Therefore, if you believe upon Jesus Christ as your Savior, because on the cross he died for your sins, he died for mine, and because of him, and only through him, can we have eternal life. And that is by faith. Faith in Christ alone. Thank you, Father. And please, Father, bless us through your word today. We ask in Christ's name, amen.